The information on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a qualified licensed professional counselor or a qualified licensed medical provider. Hello and welcome back to another session of the Evolving Chair Podcast with your host Lakeisha LPC. Today I have a very special guest, friend to the show, Marcias Littlejohn, licensed marriage and family therapist. He was on here for, I think it was like session 11 because we were talking about spirituality and mental health. So, and you guys loved him so much and I did too. So I had to bring him back. You can say hi. Hello. 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 Yes. So today, um, you know, we are going to be addressing how we view our black males and how it all ties into depression, mental health. Um, as some of you may know, this month is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And I thought how cool it would be to highlight that fact about um, just us as a people getting more informed as it comes to that. Um, and for you guys to know that suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. So an average of 44,193 Americans die by suicide a year. And within the African-American culture community, suicide is ranked the third leading cause of death, specifically within the black males between the ages of 15 to 24. And the suicide prevention hotline number is one 273 8255. So again, 1 800 273 talk. So, yes. So, let's get it on and popping, Mr. Marcias. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, because of where you work um, in the, is it the jail, the hospital? Yeah. Um, yes. I'm working in the um, jail. I work in the basically what we call the enhanced outpatient program, which is basically a really intense therapy within the jail system to help people reform and rehabilitate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you also do your private practice stuff on the side with um, Cairo's Alliance. It is Cairo's Thera- Therapeutic Alliance. I do that also. So I get to work with black males all the way around. Yes. <laughs> in yes. different and a lot of different um, modes. So that's pretty, you know, it's pretty eye-opening to kind of see how they both translate and mirror each other a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and let's just talk. We can go as far back as slavery because we are here for it because we know it started somewhere, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, so um, that's one of the things I kind of touched on in one of my videos. If you look at slavery, in slavery when it first started, the African male was stripped of his maleness and mm-hmm. what it was to be a provider, protector, and to be a hunter. So in doing that, they tried to make him very docile. So the slave master took the role of the masculine male. And in turn, that really didn't leave a place for the African or African-American um, slave at that time to be a male. So that matriculates down to the culture that we have today. In regards to the fact that when they looked at what a male was supposed to be, a lot of people from slavery had to look at the slave master, and he was pretty cruel. He wasn't kind, and he didn't have feelings when it came to mm-hmm. when it came to the slaves and to the women. So therefore, we adopted that, and it's exemplified if you listen to a lot of rap music. If you look at the hip hop mm-hmm. culture, if you were to look at movies dating back to the 70s, the black exploitation where the guys are really cool and they have the nice clothes. However, they're not very lovey-dovey. When it comes to women, they are very degrading. Mm -hmm. They uh, reassert their masculinity because they're overcompensating for the fact that they don't know what masculinity is. So they adopted an idea that really doesn't exist. Mm. And so what happens is they can never reach up to this ideal that is created by society and what's in their head of what masculinity is supposed to be versus the masculinity that they have. And so that's where a lot of problems start. Mm. And now how are you trying to to combat that? You know, because as we talk about um, even how trauma is um, coming through in research that is epigenetic, so it is in our genes, how are you combating um, that, stigmatization against what masculinity is and what it looks like especially for um people of color if anybody knows me that knows that i love dbt so um 
originally it's supposed to be most productive on groups, but I actually use it in most of my individual sessions. And one of the aspects of DBT, which is dialectical behavioral therapy, is radical acceptance. Hmm. So the one thing that I do when it comes to the prison population or whether it's just my private practice and me working with people in the community is the fact of radical acceptance. And radical acceptance basically says you are who you are. It's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. You just are. So therefore, you just accept it and you learn to deal with it. And if you don't like it, have it in the back of your mind that this is something I don't like and something I want to work on, but it, it's not a bad thing. And, and what that does is it helps people, A, become mindful of what is the idea that I have in my head of what I should be mm-hmm. compared to who I am and is it okay to be who I really am or do I have to try to reach this ideal? And mm-hmm. if I don't like who I am, how can I tweak it just a little bit to the fact of just enhancing who I already am to a better degree and not trying to recreate the will? Because when I try to recreate the will, more than likely, it's going to fall apart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's, that's one. Oh, go I'm ahead. Using, go ahead. No, no, no. Okay, so radical acceptance, if anybody can look that up, radical acceptance, I think, just in the black community in general, is going to help us change and help us be a people that is more loving towards ourselves and towards each other because we don't have to be the Joneses, which a lot of people try to be sometimes and mm-hmm. never reach the Joneses, the Nene Joneses of the world status. But it's okay to be whoever you are. So, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm using right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, like, how do, how do you tie that into the family? Because um, what I always like to tell people because I, I predominantly work with children and families. Yes, I am working with this kid. This kid is my client. However, I need to be working with the whole family because it's a systemic type of thing. You know, so I can't just work with the kid, give them these tools and techniques um, to deal with their trauma, their anger, whatever the case may be. And then they're right back into an environment that is... Um, increasing the triggers of the trauma or the anger you know so how do you encompass that with the family so i had the wonderful opportunity when i was in when i was getting my master's in social work to do a internship at one of the most prestigious atlanta um rehabilitation centers Mm -hmm. and in doing that one of the things that came out was it was very important to get the family involved in treatment within the later stages and the reason why is because as a family, we operate as a unit. So what happens is when you take a person out of that unit, everybody else in that unit doesn't change because somebody's used to being the enabler. Somebody's used to being a cleanup person. So I'm going to make this look okay to everybody in public because as African-Americans, sometimes we really care what other people in our community think. So mm-hmm. we will downgrade our true feelings if we're being hurt, if we have lack, because we want to keep up that appearance. So basically what you do is when you affect the one person in a family system, you have to affect the whole family system. And one of the things that I got to do, because one of my clinical supervisors was like, I need you to come up with a theory and I need you to make it work. And I need mm-hmm. it not to be one of the theories that everybody knows. Mm. So I looked at the butterfly effect or the chaos theory, which is a mathematical theory that I changed into therapy. And a pure fact of the matter, it says that one, if you put one negative X on it in front of the whole problem, it changes the whole problem. Mm-hmm. So you can't just take one part of it out and, and, and change a little bit of it and it not if not it affects the whole system. So basically when you work with that person, it's important to work with that family because if the person changes and the family doesn't change, nine times out of ten that person is gonna go back. But you also have to look at the fact that a family is so used to running a certain way that now everybody else has different roles, too. So you have to kind of bring them in, show them their old role, help them identify their new role and help the family function together. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things, even when you work with children, it's a lot of times the parents will put the children in a therapy. But what if you're a therapist and you kind of look at it, what you realize is the transfers of energy. Usually something has happened with the mother or father of the family, and they put that energy down to the child, and the child doesn't have that outlet and have the verbal language like the adults have. And so there's nobody lower than them, so they can't put the energy on anybody else, so they usually act out. So if you can help the parents learn verbal skills or learning coping skills for themselves that they can use in working with the kids, 
then they kind of actually use it in other parts of their life and the child has a better opportunity and better chance of changing and so does the family system. So I always tell people you have to kind of look at it as a family and environment thing Mm -hmm. to be able to affect your whole system and not just try to take one little part out of it and expect the whole system to change and that person to change when in all actuality you're not really setting them up for success. Exactly. And, 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 you know, and not to get it confused that um, it'll change overnight, even with getting the family right. in and, you know, just just like you said, that um, radical change um, and, and having them being open to, to different ways of um, just dealing with their family issues, dealing with whatever that client is going through right then and there. Like it, that still is a process in itself. And um, and. and so a conversation I was having yesterday on the other podcast, I'm a co-host on Brunch with Besties. Um, we were talking about like uh, gender roles. So, you know, and the masculine energy and the feminine energy and things of that right. nature. And, you know, it was so crazy because um, one person highlighted like, OK, you know, like, but I don't want my man crying every day. And, you know, like he needs to be a man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my gosh, like this would be such a great conversation for me and you to have um, because right. we've had this conversation before. And, and on the podcast, you know, I highlight like, well, I'm pretty sure it'll be some listeners that are like, but we say we want men to be vulnerable with us. Right. And to show us our emotions. But yet, is there a limit? Like, are we saying, OK, you can only cry during these moments or these times or you know what I mean? Like, what is too much or how how and how can we even like. Um, cultivate that that um, that that um, oh, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, just that conversation within the the relationship to know what is okay to share and what's not. Exactly, and that space, you know, because like I don't want um, you know, uh, uh, granted, right? Like I, I didn't see my dad cry um a whole lot. I think I feel like I've only seen him like break down and cry one time, you know, and, and that was like to when um, him and my mom um, were going through their marriage issues. But, right. you know, like I can't recall him crying. You, you know what I mean? And not to say that right. he was setting the tone even for my siblings to be like, it's not OK to cry, but. I don't know, you know, like for me and as a therapist, you know, I, I'm talking to little boys, especially little boys of color. Um, and they're reinforced and told, man up, stop acting like a girl. Don't be crying. But I'm like, they need to be able to express how they feel. I don't want them to be angry and mad out here. And then, you know, that's when you may have them like robbing people or like beating people to death or what, you know what I mean? Like, I don't but, know. I don't know. <laughs> so one of the things that I will say, something that is resounding and comes up in both of my practices, but I will go more so to the prison system on this one. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of guys who uh, I would say right now, actually, which is for the first time a really big number, I would say right now within the last four months of my caseload and working in a prison, I would say about probably 80% of the guys I work with have been sexually abused as children, mm. whether it was by a male or a female. And the one thing that they said was I was told to man up. I was told to get over it. Or I told people and they laughed and, or nobody dealt with the situation and we just swept it under the rug. Mm. Yeah. And I think that what happens is when we do that, to a, a, a man or we do that to a child, we're basically doing them a disservice. We're telling them that they're not able, they should not accept and embrace a part of their self. They should not have emotions. And what that usually does is it, it tells them boys, like I did a whole presentation on this. It's called boys don't cry. Men don't feel the gateway to prison. Mm. And basically what we do is we set them up for failure because we're telling them it's not okay for you to show this part of yourself. So how do they deal with this? Right. They push it away. They push it away into their subconscious. And as therapists, we know this and people listening, if you really think about it, you can see it, too. What happens is when we say we push stuff away and we, that we dealt with it or it doesn't bother us, it usually comes out in other ways. Mm -hmm. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's about when you're trying to go to sleep and you start having nightmares or flashbacks mm -hmm. about something. Sometimes it comes out in the way that we behave with our partners or the way that we behave in 
society and sometimes it comes out with us doing illegal things or illegal acts and or mm-hmm. acts of violence and aggression towards other people and it lands us in jail mm-hmm. so i think and then a lot of men i've also talked to so once they come to the prison part i'm like what well, did you ever tell your partner that you were sexually violated as a child mm-hmm. and they say no and i'm saying and this is more so with my black males and i'm saying and i'm like why why didn't you tell them because, you know, you know, black women say you're not supposed to feel. They don't want you to cry. If you cry in front of them or you tell them something like this, you're less than a man. Mm. So I never talked to my partner about this. And I'm saying, so you mean that you're supposed to be in a relationship with somebody, supposed to be vulnerable with somebody, and you can't tell them this? And they're like, no. So I'll say, so is it a wonder of why you did some of the or made some of the choices that you made if you are in a relationship with a partner that you can't be totally honest with? Somebody that's supposed to support you and you're not being supported? And you feel like they will call you less than a man and then... Mm-hmm. They'll have like this aha look on their face. So I think it's important in the African-American community that we learn that people should be able to feel radical acceptance. People have feelings. So therefore, people should be able to express their feelings with you. Now, I'm not saying that somebody should cry every day. Right. Which is totally right. Right. But as, as I would say, African-American men and women who, because, you know, again, we had uh, sexual awareness. And that's the big thing, whether it's a homosexual, heterosexual couple, we need to mm-hmm. be able to identify mental health symptoms and signs in our partners. Mm-hmm. And so that means what does depression look like in the African-American male? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't look like the stereotypical what you see on TV. Right, right. Sometimes but with African-American males, it could be he has a lack of sex drive. Like he just has for a month or so, does not mm-hmm. feel like having sex, which is not like him. It could be that he's really irritated and agitated lately. Mm-hmm. It could be sleeping more lately. Mm-hmm. So we just have to think, we have to start looking at, we have to be detectives of our partners. We have to kind of see sometimes like, hey, what's going on? Like, this is different. Like, my partner only sleeps five hours usually a day. Like, why is my partner now sleeping 12 hours? Like, something's not right. Or why is my partner's appetite decreased and all of a sudden they're not really eating all that much? Like, why don't they want to have sex? And usually in relationships, we say, oh, this person doesn't want to have sex with me. So automatically they're cheating. Mm. What if they're not? And this is the way that because I remember I said once you are not dealing with stuff, and you try to push it to the side. It comes out in different ways. What if that person is battling with depression and they don't feel sexy themselves, so therefore they don't feel like you could find them sexy at that point? Or their abuse is heavily on their mind and they're like, hey, I'm a broken, I'm a broken, marred person. And mm-hmm. because I had, while well, I was sexually violated, I don't feel like I can really bring anything to the table. So I don't feel like being intimate with my partner because I don't want them to see my brokenness. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want them to call me like, man. So we have to kind of look at it different ways, but how awesome would it be for me to be in a relationship with somebody and mm-hmm. I say, okay, sweetie, we heard baby darling, whatever you want to call him, bae. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was sexually violated. And also us therapists giving them the language to say it, I was sexually violated yes. as a child yes. by this person. And basically I'm having a lot of trouble lately because I'm having dreams and I'm having flashbacks. Or mm-hmm. I was walking in the mall and I smelled a certain cologne and mm-hmm. it caused me to think about this time and I've been having a lot of things that I've been dealing with that but I've been afraid to come to you because I didn't want you to see me less than a man but I really need your support like how awesome would that be for you mm-hmm. to be able to tell your partner that and your partner to say I have your back 110% whatever you need to do if you need to cry we need to talk about it we need right. to get help together then I'm I'm here for it mm-hmm. and I think that's what we need to do more so in our community when it comes around that Yes, I'm I'm glad you highlighted that because I'm thinking of um, Pastor John Gray, um, associate pastor down at um, Lakewood Church in Texas. And I know um, he has the I don't know if you're familiar with um, his TV show on own, like the Book of John believe it's called i have never seen it before i'm gonna have to look it up yeah okay it's, it's really good I, I enjoy him um and and he was sexually assaulted as a little kid and it was so crazy because to see him you know this this man of faith right but he still had some some emotional dealings with what had happened with to him because he hadn't fully addressed it um and you got to see that journey um through the show 
um, with him, you know, finally coming to terms and, 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 and just like letting go of all that hurt and that pain. Um, but you know, it's even like you said, having that, that person that you feel so comfortable to come to and be like, Hey, this is what's going on with me. But, but I think, like you said, it goes back to therapists giving people the language, but if people aren't working with a therapist, what, what are some of those some of those things that that they can probably do on their own with giving themselves that language um there is uh let me there is a lot of podcasts going on right now so uh, one thing that i really 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 love is the fact that there's a lot of therapists now doing podcasts and giving people that language whether or not they're coming to the office yes Mm -hmm. so that is a great thing and there's also Go to Amazon, look up books. There are so many books that right now are out about sexual abuse survivors mm-hmm. um, that people can put up. And they're like different workbooks. But one of the major ones that I want to put out there that I've used with a lot of people is the Courage to Heal workbook. And in doing that, because um, some people don't feel comfortable going to therapy, it actually is a therapist in a book that helps you work through your stuff. And mm-hmm. it tells you if you don't feel like this is helping you or it's bringing up more stuff. Now it's okay to go get a therapist mm. or it's okay to talk to your partner. So mm. there are resources out there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just um, us as clinicians, you know, to move outside of our four walls too of the traditional office space right. and more in the forefront of the community, you know, cause I think people don't know the resources that are out there because yeah, yeah, we have this knowledge. Cause of course, you know, we're constantly always um, trying to be innovative and, and be different and um, just knowledgeable in our craft. So we get the information and we share it with those who come right who reach out for the therapy services and come and sit in front of us but not everybody is going to do that or feel comfortable enough to get to that level and so um i I do feel like we are held accountable for getting that information out there you know right and we just have to i mean it goes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier everybody's trying to keep up appearances but I would rather get healing than keep up appearances. And that's what we have to just keep putting it out there. In some kind of way, you have to hope that the person at least gets a little bit of what they need enough to give them the language to say, I might need help. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we do a lot of the stuff that we do as therapists. <laughs> exactly. And, and and for them to be around people that are, are like, okay, I'm going to go through this with you in the sense of, okay, we going to connect you with the therapist. It's okay. If you need more help beyond what, what I'm able to do just by listening to you, right. you know, cause I, we do a disservice in that way too, because of course, you know, this, this platform is all about um, dispelling that myth about mental health illnesses and therapy where in, in the community of um, color, we don't we don't like mental talking about mental health you know when we see mental health we be like oh i ain't got that issue like i ain't got to worry about that you know and if if so and so go see that person they're crazy you know and it's right. like well first off I, i'm always like we all have um mental health you know <laughs> um and, and some people just need a little more support with um their mental health wellness than others but we all have it <laughs> one of the things I, I think I said this um, last time also is if we have a dysfunctional car, we go to a mechanic. Exactly. If we have a heart problem, we go to a cardiologist. So why not if we have a thought, a thinking distortion or like, you know, or emotional, if we feel that like our emotions aren't right, why would we not go to a therapist? Because they're the expert at that. If we can get everything else fixed, why can't we learn how to adjust to our emotions or adjust our emotions? Like, there's nothing wrong with it. We just have to, again, it, you say use radical acceptance that, hey, I'm a person with feelings. My feelings is maybe not going well right now. And I need to find somebody that can help me. There's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. Exactly. And I also want to um tie into just like our perception of the black male in relationships, too. Um, So, you know, I, I've been in this relationship series and, and I said that I was going to have you back too to um highlight because I know you 
you were doing your one where you was like, you can be the man and the other guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, right. So we don't. Oh, yeah. The the main guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So we're going to touch on that, too. (laughs) But um, let's talk more about that, because, okay, so there is that masculine energy and that feminine energy. Each and every one of us have it. But um, each person's energy shows up a little stronger than the other, you know, even for, um, you know, uh, single females with kids, you know, you might have a little more of that masculine energy because you're stepping into um, that quote unquote man role of being um, the head of your household, the provider, the protector. Um, So that may show up more, right? Which may to um, trickle on into a relationship you're in, <laughs> which you got to be cognizant of that. Um, but even right. for for men who have not grown up with fathers, you know, them probably seeing um, their mothers doing it all. But again, it it's in a different light because that's a female who's at the forefront of that. So let's talk a little bit more about that, about that masculine um, and, and feminine energy and then like the roles and how we as a people you know, how, I don't know. We're so stuck in our, our gender norms and um, our roles. And don't get me wrong. I'm very old fashioned. You know, like, yes, I want my husband to be um, the head of the household, the providing the protector, because my dad did all of that. But I also saw my dad cook, you know, like he's from Mississippi. Right. So he cooked, too. You know, um, he he did um, laundry. You know, I would see him do laundry a little bit, maybe not as much as my mom. But, you know, like. I don't know, like some things, you know, I, I was just like, oh, a man is supposed to do that. Like, I don't, let's talk a little more about that. So one of the things I want to, because I, I like one of the things you said is what if a guy grew up without a father and he had a strong mother in the, in the, in the picture. Mm-hmm. And you got to think about it for him, his normal is a strong woman. Mm-hmm. So maybe the kind of guy that might like a strong woman. Why? Because that's what he's used to. That's his normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. So the thing about it is, if he uses radical acceptance of his masculinity, he might like a strong woman. That does not make him less of a man. That just means that he likes a woman that is more take charge. And I always say, it, and even in looking at it, like I know that a lot of people know Keandra, who's very great. Yeah. Um, when it comes to being a therapist and, and different relationships, and that's one of the things that she kind of touched on too. Like, you, it's okay for a man to like a strong woman, but the thing about it is, a woman has to also know what she likes in a man. And if you are a woman who wants a stereotypical strong man, then that might not be the man for you. Because what happens if you guys get together? Mm. Then you're always wanting him to be somebody who he's not, and he is liking you for who you are and it's it's not working out. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's like you're missing something. So what if for you, it's okay for a man not to be, he can still be masculine, but mm-hmm. he doesn't have to be the kind of guy that makes all the decisions and that it's only his way or the highway. What if y'all have a more egalitarian relationship where you guys can make decisions together or on some things that you take the lead as a woman in a relationship? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's it's kind of finding your balance in a relationship and what you're looking for and being okay with that. Yeah. And then and then you also what you also have in relationships is guys who did not have fathers who are looking at TV that are looking at mm-hmm. different role models in the community that they've identified of what a man is supposed to be and they're trying to be that and that's not who they are either. <laughs> so therefore. <laughs> right. They have this false ideal of what it is to be masculine and mm. what it is to be a What if being masculine is just taking care of your family, your responsibilities, going to work every day, and being the best person you could be? What if that is masculinity? And it's not always being in control, always making 100% of the decisions, always being the mm-hmm. person that is my way or the highway. Mm. So you also have to look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of men don't have role models. A lot of black men don't have role models of what it is is to be a masculine man in a relationship. Mm-hmm. That's true. And so, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. And so that kind of like, that, which is how I am the main dude and the side dude kind of came, kind of came into mm. existence because if like a lot of guys are really good at, okay, this is what, okay, this on TV, this is what Phil Hustle was. Like, this is what I'm going to be. Yeah. I'm going to be a guy who goes to work every day. 
I'm going to be somebody who comes home to take care of my family, like give them and, and like make sure they have everything they need and it ends there. But if you really think about it, when it came to the Huxtables, like we really didn't have, like you never really saw him as a sexual person. Right. That's Do you true. Like, he had children, but mm-hmm. you never like, there might be some moments where he went on dates with, with his wife, but you never really had that Huxtable life. I, like he's a sexual being right. and then let's go back to black exploitation then you have the guy who was a sexual being but you never really saw him have a family and take care of that family mm. so he's kind of like the side dude he's in and out so how do how do we as black men fuse those two things together and that's what kind of the series was about so it was about being a the main guy and also learning how to find out your partner's love language Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, definitely take that quiz and see what your love language is and your partner's love language because we have to be able to say, this is what I need in a relationship for intimacy and this is what you need. So, therefore, I'm going to try to identify what you need and try to su- and supply it to you. And also, like, one of the things I've touched on in the series is if you are the side dude, quote unquote, and you're coming from prison, there are limited opportunities for you sometimes. Mm. So, how do you make that work for you? And mm-hmm. and you know me, I'm all about making a treatment plan. So in my <laughs> head, the treatment plan was, first of all, you need to identify your resources. Like, what are the resources that are available to you? If that means that you need to go to a parole outpatient clinic to find mm-hmm. different job resources, it's to make a plan. I'm going to apply to these kind of jobs, and I'm going to put in this many applications a week. Mm. And I'm going to follow up on these many applications in four days, this many in five days. Okay, I don't know how to do that. So I'm going to find somebody who is going to teach me how to do a resume. I'm going to go to resume building workshops. I'm going to learn how to get these other skills. What skills did I learn in prison that I can translate to the outside? Oh, okay, I did landscape. So now I'm a landscape technician or horticultural Mm -hmm. specialist. And knowing those different words and, and... linking up with people that can help you get the job that you need to take care of the family that you want to have. Mm-hmm. So it's just basically, you know, just learning the skills. If you don't have them, are you willing to learn them? Mm-hmm. And are you willing to be okay with the person that you are? So that's pretty much, you know, what I was touching on in that series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's so needed because I, I loved how you used the example of um, um, the Huxtables because I think, you know, that is even for me, like when I think of families, like I think of those kind of shows. Right. Right. So you like, oh, yeah, they have these successful careers. They seem to be really great parents. Their kids are all doing great. But you don't see, like you said, that other side of them um, and the intimacy piece of things. Right. right. Um, and just speaking to each other's love language and, you know, intimacy doesn't always mean that it's something um, sexual, you know. Right. So and, and for people to keep that in mind, too. One thing I, I, I was thinking about, too, um, before was, you know, uh, uh, of guys trying to figure out the, their their role um, within society just as a man and what does that mean to be a man what does that look like are those who have those single moms and 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 then the mom is just like you know stop crying stop acting like a girl you know but like all these like negative um comments but nothing to combat that you know what I mean like okay like if you're telling him to stop crying like a girl we'll combat that with okay showing him and granted you know a, a, a woman cannot show a boy how to be a man but in many of the cases um there's probably not a male figure around you know so go ahead one of the things one of the things that i say is like even those comments be a man like don't cry like man up where did those comments come from and again that goes back to slavery because women have to be stronger there first of all there wasn't a husband in the household and the thing about it is a mom could lose her kids at any moment so mm-hmm. she had to teach her male kids how to be strong and how to survive. Mm-hmm. So when moms are saying that now, that comes, they're not saying, like, you can't. They're saying you need to learn how to be strong. You need to learn how to survive because I might not always be here. And what I want for you the most is to survive because I'm afraid that you won't be able to make it. That's and that's good. what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But what they're not saying is, I love you. Mm-hmm. You're special. 
you are who you are and that's okay with me because I love you for that reason. But what I really, really would love is for you to be successful in the future and I want you to do that by da 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 da. That's mm. not what they're saying. So I think it's changing the narrative and understanding mm-hmm. why we say the things that we say mm-hmm. and then once we identify our true what we're truly trying to say is standing in a loving way and recouching it so it's more of an empowerment and not tearing somebody down. Right. That's true. And it's always what we don't say that people seem to like get in their head. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think that's really good. Now, Marquise, let's talk how, you know, just how um, masculinity has evolved over the years. And I'm just thinking um, just with the examples on TV from like hip hop artists, actors, TV shows, because, right, think about it. We went from... um, the Huxtables <laughs> to now right. it's you know reality TV right, right. <laughs> which is still pretty scripted I'm sure <laughs> right, man, that's, right which is not a true representation because like, let's just think about manhood even in our lifetime I, I might be a little bit older than you so we'll put that out there but um, <laughs> if we look if we look at like the, the LL Cool J idea like of, of that rapping around the 80s 90s mm. early 90s like if you look that was what masculinity was at that time, mm, correct? And yeah. then, so then you go back to, um, it kind of changed a little bit in the late 90s, you know, you kind of, and then it became like more of the Tupac or Biggie era. Yeah. So that's what masculinity was at that point. So now we're like with the young thug mm-hmm. and it's more metro right now. Mm, so now it's okay yeah. to be a little bit more flamboyant as a man and it's okay and you won't, lose masculinity so it kind of shows you that whatever the media is putting out there as what masculinity is us as a people are adopting it and we're becoming more more accustomed to it and more akin and more accepting of it so what if the hip-hop community embraced mental health for men how awesome Mm. would that be i have a who is in the hip-hop industry and is doing great things his name is mac nova and I have been surprised in the fact of the matter is because he works with a lot of different aspiring artists. And he's like, the, the first thing I tell them is it's important to have a therapist. I was <laughs> like, yes, this is it. This is how you change it. Because he was like, I don't think it's anything wrong with a artist having a therapist. I think if anything, it makes you a better artist because you're able to tap into all of your emotions and think about it. It's just like if you're, if you're drawing a rainbow, right? Or mm-hmm. you're drawing a picture, if you're only allowed to, draw with four colors of the rainbow how's the picture going to really exemplify what you wanted to exemplify mm-hmm. if you only tell them they can use five words how's that a wrap but what if you give them a thousand words of vocabulary and you give them the whole 64 crayon box how awesome is that picture or that that meeting that that art when it comes out and i was like you know what this is we need more of you we need more people because thank and we are a oral people. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. if we can get it out there and if it's okay with hip hop and like mainstream culture to have a therapist, then I think that's going to really affect it later on. Right, right. Well, I mean, you know, when Jay-Z came out and said, you know, he was working with a therapist, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. I think I think it became pretty cool. <laughs> and, I think, and I think one of the things that we can do as therapists is like when people think of therapists, first of all, they yeah. think of somebody sitting in the office with a camisola cardigan on <laughs> and with big glasses and saying, mm-hmm, okay, great. Mm-hmm, yes. Why do you feel that way? Great. But I always, and what I always tell people is, first of all, when you meet a therapist, you should find a therapist that you vibe with. Yeah. I personally have a therapist, and we talked about this. Mm-hmm. I don't vibe, I'm a very verbal person, which we all know that by this point. So mm-hmm. for me, my therapist was somebody who had to challenge me and somebody who could verbalize with me. I don't like a silent therapist that doesn't work for me. So I had to figure out, first of all, what kind of therapist through trial and error, like, okay, this one didn't work. Okay, maybe this one worked. And then I found that I work best with a black female therapist that is going to challenge me. Oh. For me, that just works better. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. So... You have to kind of, and I always tell my, and this is what I tell all my guys, like when they first meet me, I was like, um, 
when you come in here, like you're not going to feel good all the time. If you leave our sessions and you are okay and happy and great all the time, I am not doing my job. As a therapist, my job is to challenge irrational thoughts and irrational processes and cycles in your life to help you break them, to help you get to the place you want to be. And if I am always, if you're always leaving here smiling and happy, then we something is not working. And I might not be the therapist for you, and that's okay. Oh. And like one of my guys, and I know that me and you kind of talked about this, and I put it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. One of my guys in in prison was like, "Oh my god, my therapist is woke! Like I love this! Like <laughs> this is the best therapy I've ever had! Like you're woke! Like I like this because I can talk to you like the real person, and I can get what I need, and I don't feel like I have to pretend to be something I'm not. I mm-hmm. can come here, I can be raw and real, and I can say it just the way it comes out, and that's okay. And we figure it out from there. So it's just also having that that bond with your with your therapist and that's us getting out there and showing this is what therapy could be and it's not what you think it is yes yes again which you know i i I am i'm sorry for all my um fellow therapists out there i put that accountability out on us for us to be out there in the community more too you know just doing our due diligence with um getting the word out and breaking down those stigmas and stereotypes associated with mental health and therapy I agree with that. We have a charge. We have to do it. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. You know, and I know it's so I know it's so many um therapists that I see on um Instagram and um Facebook that are are doing great things, you being one of them. You know, so I appreciate you. that. Yes, you tight. So <laughs> 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 And you do telehealth too, right? So if people I do. need a therapist, Right. So um, with telehealth, I am licensed in two states. So the thing about telehealth is you basically just have to be licensed. If you're going to be a therapist and under the moniker of a therapist, you have to be licensed in that state. But, you know, you also have life coaches and different things like that mm-hmm. that can do telehealth, too, in different areas. So, yeah, so I do it in Oklahoma where I'm also licensed. And in doing that, I'm able to see people, you know, on the screen and it's just like they're in front of you. Right, And so I get to see, because I'm a really biodynamic person. So for me, it's a lot of therapy is 95% of what somebody is not telling me. Mm, <laughs> yeah, that's true. What, and what I know what you're not telling me is when I ask you a question and resistance is basically like when somebody, they, like they will put their arms across their chest or they'll ball up their body or they'll get really tense. Like that's how I know that's what you don't want to talk about. So for me, that's what we need to talk about at that point. Yes. Yes. So even in stuff that's possible because you're still able to see that person. So I think it's that's pretty great. <laughs> it is. It is. It reaches, it reaches more people because in certain communities there might not be a therapist that looks like you or that speaks your language. So in opening up that platform, it gives you more. It gives people more of an incentive to have a therapist because you can't say, "Oh, well, there's nobody in my community who I connect with." Now there's people all over the world that can connect with you in your community. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. I love it. And before we go, um, Marcus, you are actually a speaker at the Black Therapist Rock this year, right? Uh-huh. I was, which was a great experience. It was really, really great. Awesome. <laughs> now, what did you um speak on? Um, I spoke about a couple of things. Heart and soul of a black man, which is mm. kind of like what I said, like learning what a black man is, being okay with who you are and learning your love languages and being emotional. So that was one of the things that um I talked about. And I was actually able to be on that with Bashe Williams and with Joseph Williams, if anybody knows them, the misunderstood social worker. Um, So it was great. So we had a very great conversation that actually went over the time that was allotted and it was women and men in that conversation. So it was pretty, it was a great conversation. Uh-huh. Um, I did mass incarceration of how, how our men who are going through mental health con- conditions are being cycled into the prison, mm. the prison population and how, if we could find that earlier, maybe whether it's in like, more school grant programs or mm-hmm. whether more community programs and being able to identify before they get to that point and giving them that outlet, then it'd be pretty great. Right. And the other one was how childhood experiences and trauma mm-hmm. affects how a person grows up and the kind of things that they do in the future. So how does that affect your relationships? How does that affect your feeling confident to achieve stuff and different things like that? So those were all great sessions. <laughs> I wish <laughs> everybody could have been. It was it was pretty awesome. 
Oh, yay. Well, I'm glad you um got to speak on those important topics for sure. Um, I guess um I'm thinking of a question just because I, I deal a lot. I get, I get the babies when they're still young. So elementary kids, so kindergarten through fifth grade and their mm-hmm. um, family. So, you know, by that time, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm still impactful. Right. Um, right. <laughs> and they're still sponges. But dealing with a, a teenage black male. So say he's already committed several crimes, right? Mm-hmm. And in the juvenile system, you know, and people are probably already washed their hands with him. Like, oh, I mean, he's just going to get out and do it again. Like, how do you work with uh, a young man of that caliber? And I will say a lot of the guys I work with now in the prison system are still that guy right there that people mm. have given up on since yeah. he was a teenager. So the first thing I do is I try to hear their story because I think people want to ultimately, and this is what I say, I said on our last time, people want to be seen. I want you to Mm -hmm. see me as Mm -hmm. a therapist. Like, I don't want you sometimes to see like as a person going to therapy, I don't want you to see the mask that I'm putting on because I'm really great. What we learn in our culture, in our community is how to put on a mask and make people think we're okay. Mm -hmm. I need you as a therapist to see through that and to see me for who I am. And once you see me, I need you to call out. (laughs) Mm. Like I said, when you ask me questions and I do certain things, like I need you to be observant enough to know what I'm not saying. Mm -hmm. I need you to see me. And I think that that's the the main thing. You have to be able to report and let them know that you see them and they're not just another name or another number on a paper. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think that is the main thing is just being honest with them and, and letting them be able to express themselves and letting them know that you're actively listening and that you haven't already prejudged them before you've ever, you've met them. Mm, yeah. And I tell people, about this, and me and my guys laugh about this, like my guys in prison all the time, because I've had guys I've talked to that may have killed 50 people mm-hmm. and he's been in a gang because he needed he needed a family that didn't exist, so he found the closest thing he could find to a family. But the thing about it is, I go in there and I still call him out on his stuff, and I still I see him because sometimes people's papers and charges can make you afraid of them. Mm. They become a giant that you don't want to deal with. But you have to be dedicated enough to your craft to be able to call out a spade a spade. Yeah, you have to be able to say no. What I see, okay, so. I see this guy who was in a gang who has, who's now a shot caller and who has committed a lot of atrocities and a lot of people are afraid of them. But what I'm really seeing is a scared little boy who never learned how to feel. Mm. And that's what I'm going to call out to you right now. And then they're like, what are you, what are you saying? And then I explain to them why I say what I say. And they're like, wow, okay, you're right. Mm. <laughs> and then that's how we started. Mm. So it's just, it's just seeing them for who they are. Yeah. Yeah. And calling them out on their stuff, like what y'all say, uh, Yana say, <laughs> call a thing a thing, <laughs> but with love right. and uh, <laughs> right. and a little yeah, softer, to, right? <laughs> right, you just have to be able to see it. Like, as a therapist, you have to be able to see the person you're working with mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not see their representatives, but you have to see the real person. Mm. Now, what, what question... Would you have somebody who's looking um, into therapy? What What was that one question you would have them ask a therapist to make sure that therapist is like a, a good fit for them? I would say, I would ask them something. I would find out what their views on a, a couple of different things are. Like, what mm-hmm. is depression to you? Like, or, and just kind of see, like kind of gauge where they are in their practice and how they feel. And ask them questions like trust them. And I always tell people to trust a therapist with something little. Mm. Something that you are going to pretend that you care about. But it, 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 it is important to you. But it's not like that atomic bomb thing that you are trying to hide. Right. Trust them with something little and see how they handle it. Oh. If they handle that little thing with care, it might be a good thing to keep going with them. If they kind of brush it off and don't address it, mm-hmm. then that might not be the therapist for you. Mm. So you just have to be able to kind of gauge what they are able to give you and is that what you really need and that might mean going to a lot of therapists and trying to figure out mm-hmm. what you do need in therapy mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but but in relationships people trust they trust their partners with little things at the beginning just yeah. to see if they're going to be there and if they can truly rely on them yeah and so do the same thing with a therapist and one of the things that 
I have upcoming is actually a conference that's going to be in Minnesota, the um, Safe, Healthy, Strong conference about human sexuality. And that's one of the things that I'm going to talk about, too. Are you able to trust your partner and give them a little bit? Mm-hmm. And that comes back. And then it comes back to, can you trust your partner a little bit? So one day you can tell your partner that you were sexually assaulted and sexually violated. And you can trust them with that, that they won't look at you as less than a man. Mm. So it, it's the same with the therapist, with any relationship, you have to be able to trust the other person mm-hmm. and know that they will take what you say seriously. Mm-hmm. That's good. Thank you. And now where can the people find you at? You I have a website, so um, it's www.kairostherapy9021.com. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Kairos Corner, um, which is my um, blo- it's a vlog and a blog <laughs> <laughs> where I do videos or just inspirational quotes that kind of help you get through the day because sometimes we're running on empty and we need our fuel tank filled. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a couple words can get us through the rest of the week. Yeah. So I try to do that. So you can Kairos Corner on Facebook. That's Kairos K A K A I R O S Corner is K O R N E R. And again, the Kairos Therapy Nine Hundred Two One Zero dot com. Awesome, awesome, and always, you know, I'm so grateful and appreciative for you being a guest on the Evolving Chair podcast. And for those of you still listening. The Milwaukee Podcast Festival is like a month away, y'all. Have y'all gotten y'all tickets yet? Come on, you know you want to see me live up there. So, and I have several (laughs) other great pods from Milwaukee that'll be there as well. And the headliner will be The Brilliant Idiots with Charlemagne the God and Andrew Schultz. So you guys make sure you get your tickets and don't forget about that. So until next time. Huh, you said what? That sounds good. That sounds good. I might want to hashtag be in the building. Yes, come on. (laughs) And we can kick it. So, yes, come down. (laughs) That is. I would encourage, but I will encourage our listeners to come. You are a pretty awesome person on the radio, but to see you in person, you are dynamic. So, people should definitely get those tickets to come out and support you and see you and get some healing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Y'all hear that? Y'all come. And get y'all tickets. Y'all know y'all want to leave the chair better than y'all came. So, (laughs) yes. So until next time, peace. Hey, TEC listeners. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share, and rate this podcast. You can send me emails with questions, comments, and feedback to TECpodcast2017 at gmail.com. On Twitter at TECpodcast. 2017 IG at TEC Podcast, Facebook, The Evolving Chair Podcast, or check out my website at www.theevolvingchair.com. So go listen to me on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play.